I think overall it's about helping companies meet customer demand for sustainability because mm. you have an increasing amount of businesses who want to procure green products or services as well as consumers who want to better understand the impact of their purchases. Welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast about closing the strategy execution gap and promoting outcome-driven cultures. I'm your host, Jenny Harold, VP of Product Evangelism at GTM Hub. Our mission is to prevent organizational hypocrisy. And inspired by the proven objectives and key results methodology, GTM Hub is the leading platform for strategy execution management for mission-driven organizations. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. We know that accurate data drives powerful change, which is why my guest on this episode of Dreams with Deadlines is laser focused on creating a robust platform to help industry accelerate their transition to net zero. David DiPicciotto, CEO and co-founder at Pledge, joins me to discuss the tools his team has created to help businesses of all sizes identify carbon hotspots, measure emissions, and create strategies to reduce their global environmental impacts. A few of the things we talked about. The growing demands among consumers for corporate accountability and sustainable practices, particularly among top offenders in the travel and supply chain transportation industries. Why old school top-down industry averages provide a far less precise measure of climate impacts than the accurate granular bottom-up data collection and tracking technologies available today. How meaningful carbon reduction will require a portfolio approach based on a mix of methodologies developed for large companies that can ultimately be rolled out as scalable, affordable solutions for smaller ones. Advice for companies interested in establishing proactive programs to reduce their footprint through data collection, offsetting, and insetting strategies. What's behind corporate greenwashing, which is often the unintended consequence of sustainability programs that lack accreditation, expertise, and committed resources. And finally, how the team at Pledge is partnering with global corporations to move net zero carbon initiatives out of the nice to have column and making gold standard sustainability practices about more than, well, just a pledge. Let's jump in. All right, I'm really excited. Today we have the CEO and co-founder of Pledge with us, David D. Picciotto. I'm probably saying that completely wrong, but I'm trying my best, David. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so we're going to start with probably Pledge because it's presumably not very many people, hopefully a growing number will know. What do you all do? How'd you get into this game? So what we do is helping businesses launch high-impact climate initiative in the easiest and fastest way possible and help them integrate or add the climate dimension to their custom offering. So what that means, to give you a concrete example, we might be helping a logistics company who works with global brands help them get a better grasp of their supply chain emissions, for example, as well as help them find a way to make these shipments carbon neutral through a set of software tools that we developed. Another example could be enabling an e-commerce company looking to mitigate the impact of packages delivery to customers' door by helping them add an offsetting button at the checkout so that their consumers can now make more climate-conscious decisions when they 
purchase these products and services. And so we've built this set of tool covering a host of measurement activities as well as an offsetting marketplace to enable climate action in a few clicks. That's really cool, actually. Let's start maybe with defining some terms. For some folks, this might be very new. So what we're talking about today is like this international scientific consensus that in order to prevent the worst climate damages, global net human-caused emissions of carbon dioxide need to fall by about 45% from the 2010 levels by 2030, reaching a net zero around 2050. We know that any great strategy and starts and ends with measurement. And when businesses gain access to accurate, actionable, and understandable emissions data, as you all do at Pledge, we can identify carbon hotspots, build strategies to address our footprint, and work towards that net zero carbon neutrality. And you've provided some examples already on how your platform helps with this. Maybe we can launch into this idea of this data story. What makes carbon data reliable? So broadly speaking, there are generally two ways to calculate carbon emissions. The one way is looking at the spend. So essentially, you take the financial value of a good or service purchased or consumed, and you multiply it by the emission factor. So this is at best a rough estimate, since spend-based emissions factor typically derived from industry average, be it at the national or an industry level. So it's very high level. The other way to compute carbon emission is to look at activity-based data, which takes into account much more granular insights, such as how many units of a particular product have been purchased or consumed. So this is more insightful, essentially because if spend-based data is more of a top-down approach, the activity-based methodology is more of a bottom-up approach of calculating carbon emissions. Now, the issue with activity-based methodology is that the data is not always readily available and accessible, and you often need to collect it from multiple counterparties and sources. And this is especially true if you want to calculate what is so-called scope three emissions, or in simple terms, your supply chain, where also, by the way, this is typically where the majority of the emissions from a company stem from. If you think about indirect emission or supply chain emissions of a company, there are so many suppliers, counterparties, and so on, that the exercise can become very laborious. And this is where obviously software companies like Pledge and others step in to essentially help streamline or automate that process. So in essence, reliable data would mean data that is readily available, accessible, and via which you can compute the most accurate calculation of emissions as possible. And that makes sense. So I think we believe that many business leaders agree that they should prioritize sustainability in their agendas. Why does pursuing a sustainability strategy make business sense, especially today? So there's a couple of recurring teams where touch both internal and external stakeholders, which are emerging, specifically when I speak to customers. I think overall, it's about helping companies meet customer demand for sustainability. Because mm. on the one hand, you have an increasing amount of businesses who want to procure green products or services, as well as consumers who want to better understand the impact of their purchases. So it's this overarching goal of meeting that customer demand. And to give you one anecdote, we're working with a lot of logistics and transportation companies. And one of these logistic companies told me that in the last quarter alone, four to five tenders were from global brands to manage their freight, where to simply participate in that tender, you had to offer some form of a sustainability solutions. So for example, visibility over the footprint of each shipment and a way to offset them. And each of these standards were worth a couple of hundred K 
in GDP terms. So it's non-negligible. And so the sustainability in that context helped them unlock this new pipeline. The other big recurring theme that I think is on everybody's mind is the regulatory environment, which is slowly evolving. I think we've seen it in the US with the SEC, as well as the EU Commission, or even in the UK looking to implement, or in some cases already implemented, environmental disclosure obligations for companies, starting with obviously the biggest companies in the high emitting sectors, but eventually Mm -hmm. the belief is that this will impact every single company on the planet. So we will see an increasing number of companies having to comply with these disclosures over time. I think we definitely will see that happen. I think it absolutely is going to be like a function of when, and that this is going to be something that definitely will spread internationally as well. That said, it's interesting because oftentimes we hear some really big claims around pledges. I think maybe that is why your company is named Pledge. That makes lots of sense. Where sustainability is perceived as important, but gets pushed down the corporate agenda. Can you share why you think that happens? So the first thing, and you've alluded to that, is that sustainability is on the agenda. The issue is that it's not at the top but often at the bottom. I think overall it's because it's still a nice to have and not a must have. The tailwinds I mentioned previously will make it become a must have, hopefully in the next 18 to 24, 36 months. So we need need this to happen ASAP. But the immediate challenges that companies face can be broken down overall. Actually, it's just a matter of resources. And resources can be understood as skills or knowledge, funding or money and simply time. If you think about today's world, we live in a hyper-competitive world, obviously the risks of recessions in the coming months. So businesses care about what's happening today and not necessarily about what's happening tomorrow. And they're not always ready to take climate action in that context. And so uh, the reason why companies like Pledge and others are emerging now is that we all want to make it as easy and as fast as possible for companies to launch these type of high impact climate initiatives. If you think traditionally large companies may have an in-house team or would spend money on an external consultant to conduct that work, but smaller companies, they don't have these resources and they don't have this time. So this is where we think that software over time will help and is already helping lower barriers to adoption and help companies get started on the sustainability journey. Yeah, I think Technology for sure will help make it easier to prioritize sustainability initiatives because what I think what you're saying is it will be less difficult to do so because we will be leveraging the power of technology to be able to overcome some of the barriers to entry, so to speak. So I came across a staggering stat recently where transport accounts for about one fifth of the global carbon dioxide emissions. Like one fifth. We'll just let that sit for a second. That's a lot. How can we expect the sector's emissions to change in the future? I think the first thing is that there's this famous quote now that says you can't reduce what you don't measure. So it all starts with measuring emissions and having a strong foundation based on data. But if we think specifically about transportation, there are a couple of initiatives or low-hanging fruits which are being implemented be it as a business or even that we can do as a consumer. And in the simplest terms, I think the lowest thing fruit for anyone, not only businesses, is when you book travel, you can start looking at the alternative mode of transport. And so, for example, it's notable that air-related transport, so if you take a flight, is 
a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions versus, for example, rail transport, which is considerably less by multiple factors. So by starting to embed sustainability solutions in the booking journeys of, for example, travel companies, as I think you see it already today with pretty much any airline, consumers and even businesses can start making more climate conscious decisions. Another broad initiative, which is continue to increase in importance over the coming months and years, is looking for alternative fuels, typically biofuels. Uh, mm. This could be, for example, sustainable aviation fuel in air transport to certain types of biofuel in road transportation, which uh, claim to be reducing emissions up to 90% versus traditional diesel fuel or other types. So we're seeing this increasing push to build the necessary infrastructure and resources to lower emissions in transportation. Another initiative that we see in multiple countries, including in the UK, is to increase the EV charging access capacity so that you don't see all these funny videos on social media with people queuing for hours to charge their car. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of the things that you've already discussed, I have seen personally, like I was looking to book a flight from, I live in Berlin to Munich. And of course you could fly there and be pretty quick to do like inter-country travel. But the first thing that showed up in Google was actually a train. And I was like, that's actually really cool. So that's very cool. All right, we're talking about businesses having to take the lead here for various reasons, either because of market pressures, because of regulatory pressures and otherwise. How can businesses get started on their carbon management journey? As I uh, alluded to, the first thing you need is you need to have data. Because without data, you won't be able to understand your emission and then you won't be able to reduce them. So it's about having that solid foundation. This is obviously easier to do for next generation companies that have stronger visibility and stronger access to data. But this is really the key requirement to compute your baseline. So essentially your inventory of where your carbon emissions are coming from so that you can build this reference point and then start benchmarking your carbon accounting exercise over the years based on that reference point. So once you have this data, you can start identifying hotspots within your business and start working on initiatives to reduce these emissions over time. And then the last step typically in a sustainability journey is there will always be some form of residual emissions, so-called unavoidable emissions in the course of business, that if you wanted to, to avoid these emissions, that would probably disrupt the business and have critical economic consequences for that business. So typically this is where companies will then recourse to the offsetting market. And in particular, now we're seeing lots of marketplaces, including what we do at Pledge, help companies procure high quality carbon offsets. Been a market that's traditionally has been fairly opaque and fragmented with little transparency also on the price of these projects. And so through software, we try to bring more transparency to this process. Yeah. So. Here's the thing though, and I think you and I probably will agree to this, like data gaps is a thing. And this is probably one of the greatest challenges I would imagine, especially in scope three, where it's really difficult to get a handle on, you know, what is actually happening in the supply chain. What can businesses do to close those data gaps on their emissions, especially in that scope three category? So within scope three, there's obviously some data that is harder than others to collect. To give you some context, one of the key reasons why at Pledge we started focusing on the transportation sector 
is that transportation-related data is typically more easily accessible than others. And to your earlier point, transportation is a major contributor of greenhouse gases globally responsible for a fifth of global emissions. So I think even within your scope three, it's about identifying where can you have the most impact in the shortest amount of time. So if you start looking at business travel in a non-COVID world, this is this would typically be a pretty big contributor or supply chain transportation for your freight companies or other logistics provider. And then for the rest of scope three, it's about over time developing solid relationships with all your suppliers. What we're seeing is that this top-down push triggered by very large enterprises, which are increasingly enforcing in contracts with their suppliers for them to report on the carbon emissions of the activity or the product or service that they provide to these enterprises. So it's taking a lot of time, but over time and through building stronger relationship with suppliers, through enforcing these type of clauses and when you onboard new vendors, companies will be able to build this more holistic view over the scope three emissions. Yeah, so you mentioned that something that businesses can do because there are going to be things that are unavoidable. So carbon offsetting is a thing. But there's also this thing called carbon insetting. Which should a business choose? Carbon insetting or carbon offsetting? So it's not necessarily a question of either or. Maybe to define these two terms, so carbon offsetting may typically harness the impact of a greenhouse gas reduction activity, which is outside the company's operation. So for example, if you think about a big tech company who will fund a reforestation project, geography that is not core to their business, that could be considered a, a carbon offsetting activity. Whereas insetting may refer to greenhouse gas reduction that are directly related to the business, be it in their geography, production, or supply chain. So if we, again, take the example of transportation and the example of biofuels, if you think for an airline, using sustainable aviation fuel will be an example of insetting. And it probably makes more sense, so it's more relatable for the business and its internal stakeholders like employees or external ones like investors to start embarking on the insetting journey, if possible and applicable, versus the offsetting journey to start with. Now, the issue with carbon insets, and if we take the example of sustainable aviation fuel, is that it's, there's a supply constraint today, and it's an, emerging, it's an emerging type of inset. So hopefully over time, the supply of this type of insets will be scaled and industrialized and readily accessible to any company. But for now, it's mostly bigger companies who have access to this type of supply. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. Okay, so we're talking a lot about what people can do about this. Can you discuss the merit of utilizing a variety of carbon dioxide removal solutions and the importance of including those projects as a part of this wider carbon neutralization portfolio? Because I think that's what I'm hearing from you. It's it's not a zero-sum game and it's not a this or that. It's a this and. So can you discuss a little bit about thinking about this as a portfolio of initiatives rather than one-offs? So in the world of voluntary carbon markets, not all offsets are equal. You have a variety of projects broadly split into categories such as nature-based solutions, as well as science-based removal, so technologies that may suck carbon out of the air in a permanent fashion, as opposed to the natural process of the former category. And within these two buckets, you have then subtypes. Mm. And each of these project types will yield different results from different additionality to different permanence, to even different benefits 
what's also called project co-benefits, such as biodiversity or positive impact on a local population. So the merit of utilizing a portfolio is that you can blend the benefits of these projects under a single umbrella. So to make an analogy with financial services, investors will typically invest in funds in order to diversify the risk and so not have all their eggs in the same basket. So that's one merit. And then building on that, a number of carbon removal technologies today are sometimes prohibitively expensive for smaller companies. That would be the case also with insects such as biofuel. And so while these technologies are critical to hit our net zero targets over time, only large companies are able to purchase them today. Through a portfolio approach, you could start blending some of these more expensive projects, which haven't scaled yet, and not only help smaller businesses access to the same project type and quality as the biggest companies on the planet, but then also funnel more cap into these technologies to help them scale over time. And so this is the approach where we're taking a pledge, given the team's background in financial services, this was a great analogy and something that we want to help. So essentially funneling money into these technologies that at scale will help remove gigatons of carbon from the atmosphere. So it sounds like it's an exercise in almost sub subsidizing in a way. Yes. That, you that's, yeah. You Interesting. That Very cool. Okay. So the last question before we get into quick fire, we've heard the term greenwashing show up a lot in the news. It's showing up more and more these days. It would probably be fair to say that the legal risks of greenwashing are real. How does greenwashing happen? And how can business leaders develop a trustworthy climate strategy? Because I think that's the basis of the discussion. It's we can't trust these leaders when they're saying these pledges out there and they're not necessarily following through. That's essentially what greenwashing is. Yeah. So how can they avoid this? So I'll just start by me nuancing the, the word greenwashing. I think you could split greenwashing into intentional greenwashing as well as mm. unintentional greenwashing. Fair. I think that greenwashing mostly happens due to a lack of knowledge or visibility into how a sustainability initiative is essentially implemented. Because to our previous points, many businesses don't have the enough expertise to launch these sustainability initiatives or they don't know how to vet different vendors, consultants, carbon accounting software, or others to support them in this process. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know how long it's going to take. They're unclear about the results. So it goes back to the issues of the industry I was mentioning, which are opacity and fragmentation. And so going back to the basics, to mitigate for that risk, or in other words, to make your sustainability initiatives as transparent as possible and trustworthy as possible, I think you should have this strong foundation based on data because then your vendor will have to comply with essentially these data points and be transparent, for example, about the ways they calculated the emission, re reduce them or which offsets they use and what these offsets are stemming from and what impacts they're having on your overall net zero journey. So data can help provide you that transparency. And another emerging thread we're seeing in some industries is that you have now different bodies emerging, be it in the food industry, be it in the crypto industry, or even the transportation industry, where this body will essentially start accredit giving accreditations to companies performing this carbon accounting and offsetting work to certain vendors, who can then, similarly to obtaining a license by regulators and financial services, go sell their services to companies who lack the resources to do. So for Pledge, as an example, we've been accredited and recognized by the industry body in transportation and logistics, 
for the way we calculate emissions, so essentially for a calculation methodology. And we've seen that this provides the right confidence to our customers that what they're doing with us is in compliance with the highest standard in the industry. So to summarize, there's three things. First, get smart on this. Get educated on this. Second, get the data. Third, make sure that who you are working with is actually trustworthy as well. So look into their credentials, their accreditations, as you put it. Are they recognized as uh, saying what they are doing is correct and then someone can actually verify that that is in fact true that all makes absolute sense thank you so much we're going to go into quick fire now what is your dream with a deadline helping remove gigatons of carbon from the atmosphere because we need to do it asap i love that you're pursuing that now i'm glad that you do what you do what do you appreciate most about your team smart and engaging people and I think I'm very lucky because we're probably one of the few teams that has an office-based culture. So we get to spend quite a lot of time together during the week. Very nice. What is an example of a strategy execution challenge that you faced and how'd you overcome it? So that may be very general, but we, in an industry that's being created, if you think about sustainability or specifically the climate space. So we're creating a new category. So there's no set playbook of how to grow into that market. So that would be one of the key challenges or more, if I can put more question mark. If you could give advice, you've alluded to this already, to somebody in maybe a business that isn't one of the big ones, but is really does care a lot about sustainable business and wants to get a handle on this sort of stuff, how would you advise them? I would say actually for any type of goal, Define where you want to get to and then work backwards from that. So in the context of sustainability, even a small company might say, hey, I want to get to net zero by this date. And then you need to put in place the right milestone to get there. Sounds good. And then the last question, what's top of mind for you these days? It would be, how can we create more urgency amongst the companies so that they take climate action? Because to your point before, Today, it's a nice to have, but we all know it's going to become a must-have. So how can we make that happen sooner? 100%. Thanks so much, David, for being on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you. That's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.